Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Nina Pantic, and I'll be joined in a few moments by Irina Falcone and our guest today, USTA General Manager of Player Development, Martin Blackman. A former player himself, both on tour and at Stanford, Blackman assumed the role at the USTA in 2015, just before the USTA National Campus opened in Lake Nona, Florida. We get into his career and his goals for pro tennis at the USTA, and we find out what was behind the huge restructuring that took place last summer in player development. Like everyone else, Blackman has been watching the Australian Open closely, where three American women have made their way to the quarterfinals, Serena Williams, Jennifer Brady, and Jessica Pagula. Shelby Rogers made the fourth round as well. It's an exciting time for women's tennis, with 18 American women inside of the top 100. Though the men haven't fared quite as well down under, it's still been a big fortnight for former UCLA Bruin Mackenzie McDonald as he made the fourth round. We also talk about a few youngsters to watch out for, like Brandon Nakashima and Sebastian Corda. So let's get into our chat with Martin Blackman and talk all things American tennis. All right, Martin Blackman, it's an honor to have you on our show. Welcome. How are you doing? Thanks a lot. Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. We are having a huge Australian Open for American players. There are three women into the quarterfinals. What does that mean to you as the GM of player development at the USTA? Well, it's very exciting. Um, and they're all unique. The three women that are there and some of the other women that have done well. Um, I did an interview maybe three or four days ago. And um, one of the things I commented on was just kind of the multi-generational piece. That is really cool to see. Um, obviously, we've got the queen. We've got Serena going for number 24. Um, and just the fact that Venus is still playing so well is so inspirational. Um, and then we got Shelby, you know, coming back from a tough injury two and a half, three years ago at Indian Wells, having a great U.S. Open uh, last year. I remember that match against Kvitova like it was yesterday. And obviously, she put the work in over preseason because she came in playing great tennis as well. So, you know, Barty is, is in great form. But I think Shelby walks away feeling good. Jenny Brady's playing so well. Um, and, you know, again, you can just kind of look at some of the women that are left and you can see the preseason work that they put in. Um, even for some who had to go into quarantine, just having this level of fitness right now is amazing. And um, then Jessica Pagula, I mean, she's playing the best tennis of her career. Uh, she's enjoying it. It's gotta be so gratifying for her. 
to be injury free and um, playing her best tennis at a slam. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Martin Blackman. He's talking about the success of American women at the Australian Open. Keep listening for more. We're going to talk about Jennifer Brady for an extra special second because she went in hard quarantine. She went 14 days in a hotel room and then now she's made her way to the quarterfinals. At the time of this recording, she might go further. One American female is guaranteed to be in the semifinals. But Jen Brady is the coolest, most chill human, but still... 14 days in hard lockdown and then to play this level is unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable. And it just, so think about her her fitness level going in. And then obviously she found a way to crush it in the room, whether it was with a stationary bike or kind of whatever her coaches gave her to do. Um, We had a webinar, we had like, we had a couple of video calls with some of our players and coaches who were in the hard lockdown and just kind of went over some guidelines for the first three to five days of coming out, making sure that they minimize the risk for injury. And Jenny's coach was on that call. And um, he's just a really kind of detail oriented guy. And they had a great preseason in Germany. So obviously they just did things the right way for her to be playing this well and be in such good condition right now. Do you think in a sense that she just had no pressure whatsoever knowing that she was in that quarantine? I think I, I think coming out, Arena, you'd know better than me because you played at this level as well. But I think coming out your first couple rounds, you, you're right. You don't feel that much pressure because you're like, okay, I've been I've been locked up for two <laughs> weeks. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if I can't find the ball or if I'm tired after six games, it's normal. Um, but then you know, obviously, the success that she had last year makes her feel a little bit more comfortable, I would think, going into the second week. You touched on this, but Brady was successful before she made this switch, but she decided to start training in the offseason in Germany with a German coach, but you guys are still in contact. You mentioned you spoke to her while she was in quarantine. How does that work when a player actually has a non-American, non-USTA team? Yeah, I mean, listen, our, our number one role is making sh- sure that we maximize American players' potential with the resources that we, ha- that we have. Um, and regardless of whether they're working directly with us or with a private coach, it really doesn't matter. Um, they're welcome to come to our centers with their coach, with their SNC, with their physio. So it was Jenny's coach who was on that call with our SNC and uh, sports science folks. And, um, the relationship is great. I mean, Captain Rinaldi has a great relationship with Jenny's coach and still Jenny. Um, you know, she was in our program for three years and she decided to kind of put her own team together around her um, and take the next step. And that's something that we see a lot when players invest in themselves a little bit more and personalize their teams. And that's something that Jenny did a year and a half ago. And it really allowed her, I think it really was part of her going to the next level. So, um, yeah, we try to be really inclusive and collaborative um, 
with the private coaches of American players. There's got to be a sense of ownership when you do take that next step and it pays dividends and the confidence just has to escalate exponentially. 100%. And I think part of it too, Arena, and again, you, you know this, you know this well, um, but when you're investing kind of on the front end on everything that you need or you think you need, whether it's your coach, your traveling coach, your hitting partner, your physio, your strength and conditioning, you feel like, you know, you feel like you've got so much skin in the game. And then on top of that, when the results come, then the confidence comes and you kind of look back to some of the decisions you made. And uh, it just gives you a really, really powerful sense of belief in yourself. There are a whopping 18 U.S. women in the top 100, but one of those kind of stands out, and it's Serena. How on earth is she still doing this? Are you in awe? I think we're all in awe. We're all in awe of what, of what she's doing. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of thinking back to when Serena and Venus started, I remember, I remember that. Um, and it's hard to remember because now we think of Serena as Serena and we know who she is and we know about the 23 slams and the fact that, you know, she's an icon and a legend. But when, when they started, there was so much adversity for them when they started. And there was so much kind of questioning of, you know, they didn't play junior tennis and they didn't do things like this and they didn't do things like that. And now watching her, you know, kind of a little bit under the radar. She's not putting a ton of pressure on herself. Um, she's in great shape. She's playing great tennis. But I, I, I've got to think that now it seems like things are in perspective for her um, with being a mother, being a wife, um, and going for number 24. And she just seems like really relaxed and comfortable in her skin. She's still getting really fired up. Um, but I, I have a good feeling about this tournament, whether she wins or not. I just feel like this is a great start for 2021 for her. Yeah, I've been watching a little bit of footage and just highlights her movement. It looks like she has not aged, which is just incredible. Her longevity is something, I mean, it's obviously talked about, but you have to stress on it because it is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. So the men haven't done quite as well as the women. We only have one U.S. Men that, male that made it to the fourth round, but it's Mackie McDonald, and that's important because he's a former UCLA Bruin, and so is Jen Brady, and uh, so am I. And you guys both. Oh, I didn't know tennis. you were a Bruin, oh, Nina. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, can you believe? It? <laughs> uh, I I can't believe it either. So yeah, so it's it's cool to see college players representing. I know neither one yeah. of them actually finished college; they left early. But still, you know, it's it's a it shows that college tennis is a viable option. What's your take on that? I know you went to Stanford and crushed it there. So what's your take? I think it is. And, you know, just being really candid, I think there was a time when uh, we discounted college as being part of the pathway. And it kind of became a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy where we didn't believe in college. And so we didn't give enough support to players coming out of college. And then if they didn't do as well as they should have or we thought they should have, it was another way to kind of reinforce it. And uh, I think we moved away from that. Um, and I think Arena is a big part of that. Arena and John Isner. I'm serious. 
I mean, uh, you could start it all. Yeah, I'll take full credit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting better at Georgia Tech and Isner and Stevie Johnson. And then I think one of the things that, you know, that I'm proud about, um, I'm not taking credit for it, but when I came into this role, we did start to give more support to college players that were coming out. And so whether it's Danielle Collins or Mackie McDonald or Jenny Brady, um, that's a really viable pathway. You know, if you're serious and focused and you have a good coach, you have a good program, you can play some pro circuit events while you're in school, you can get better and you can come out and do damage. There's no doubt about it. Do you think it was tough coming into that role and having to convince the other coaches that the college pathway was a very viable and successful one? Or was it something that a lot of coaches all agreed and thought that it was they were all on the same page? Uh, there was a little bit of tension. Um, there, there were some coaches that were much more um, stronger advocates of the role that college tennis could play than others. Um, but I think once we had like a discussion about it and then we said, okay, well, here's the decision. So we're making a decision. We're going to increase our support. We're going to create this kind of 18 month model that Stephen Armitage was a big part of, of support. I think after that, the whole team and all of our national coaches aligned around it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, listeners. You're tuned in to an episode of the Tennis.com podcast with USTA GM Martin Blackman. He's telling us everything about his role at the USTA and what his goals are for American tennis. Keep listening. So you're the GM of player development since 2015, so now going in on six years. What is that role? What does your day-to-day life look like? I know it's kind of strange during COVID, but it's still a very active, prominent role in professional <laughs> player development. Well, my number one role is to make sure that our that our players have what they need. Um, that's my number one role. So whether that's indirect support or direct support, uh, whether it's at the junior base with our 11 to 13 year olds in the camp structure, whether it's coaching education or parent education, it's really to make sure that they have what they need. And a big, a huge part of my job is just is listening and being a good listener and being able to kind of uh, distill what I'm hearing into solutions for players, parents, and coaches. So um you know, that's what I try to do. And then secondly, I mean, apart from from listening to our best coaches and our best players and our and, and the parents and the teams, it's to listen to our national coaches and just say, hey, what are you guys seeing out there? Is there are there resources that you need that you don't have? Um, how did this last tournament go? How is this birth year going? Are they progressing? So. It's really a lot, it's kind of a feedback loop, Nina and Arena, of listening and then looking for ways to get better and then allocating resources a little bit more officially, efficiently and optimally. And that cycle just kind of continues. And, um, you know, part of it 
is being able to recognize mistakes really quickly if things are not working and being able to take solicit critique. So if, so if Arena comes to me and says, you know what, um, the last two tournaments, it just wasn't good. The support wasn't great, whatever. I've got to be able to take that critique and not take it personally and go back in and talk to talk to our team and figure out how we can make it better. So it's that it's just that constant process. And uh, it's a privilege. You know, first of all, I love what I do. Second of all, I learn something new every day. And third of all, it's so gratifying for every single person on our team, whether they're coach or strength and conditioning or administration. When we see an American player have a breakthrough, have a good result, um, we're all high-fiving and texting and, and jumping up and down. So um, it really means a lot for us. This is way more than just a job for us. It takes a team for sure. Um, so something exciting, I mean, obviously COVID has made it quite difficult for tennis players and the whole world pretty much has been affected by it. But something kind of exciting is that the USCA is actually hosting an event next week. Did you, um, were you able to kind of give ideas or were you part of it at all? I know it's at your facility. So I'm just curious how, how it's going to go down in a sense. No, yeah, that's cool, Arena. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, so basically, the the, the internal dialogue um, within the USTA Pro Tennis PD and everything is so we we're looking at the events drop off the calendar, and our coaches are bummed out, and our players are bummed, and we're like, what can we do? And basically, there's two answers. Sometimes the answer is can't do anything because that city or that state is shut down and um, people's health comes before anything else and we just can't have that event. But sometimes the answer is we can bring that event to the campus. And so with that 25K that you're talking about and maybe a couple other events this year, um, our pro circuits department has just stepped up in a huge way to do all the things and jump through all the hoops to create a safe environment where we can host some of these events and give our players playing opportunities. And it's across the board. It's our legal department. It's our medical advisory group. So again, I mean, these are all kind of parts of the puzzle that people don't see, but we're constantly working to see if we can get that one extra event for our players. And so watching, the, watching our women play in that 25 next week is going to be amazing. I can't imagine a better venue than the UST National Campus. <laughs> I mean, you got 100 tennis courts. And I know that the focus of it is not just professional development. But when you guys did open in 2016, right around when you were the GM, or just started your GM ship, uh, did, was the theory kind of, if we build it, they will come to try and collect professional players to work together in a way? Was that the idea? Yeah, that was a big part of it, Nina, um, is building a facility where players would feel like, you know what, I'm going to get the best of everything there. Um, but also building a facility where players felt like they could come with their teams. That was really, really important to us, um, where a player could feel like I can bring my private coach and I can kind of ask for a little bit of help on this and a little bit of help on that but I can kind of create my own program within the bigger program. And um, 
that to me is always going to be the challenge for us is do, do our best players feel like that's going to be the vibe here? Do they feel like they're going to be able to come here and get personalized training and um, get the best of everything in terms of support? And uh, hopefully they feel that way, but we have to keep trying to make it better. And obviously, I mean, we were talking about uh, college tennis before being able to host college matches. I mean, that's oh, got to be so exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's so much fun. I know yeah. UCF and UF played a couple of weeks ago, and we hope, fingers crossed, that the NCAAs happen this year. I mean, it's 2021 seems like it's going to be an exciting year for tennis in the USDA campus. I think it will. I think it will. I mean, look, let's get our vaccinations. I got a couple. There's a CVS close to me. I'm 50, so you guys will have to wait a little bit. <laughs> uh, but I'm 50, so I hope I can get mine soon. And then going into Q3 and Q4, I just got to feel like there's so much pent up demand for live tennis. And uh, as soon as it's safe, we're going to we're going to be rocking and rolling on campus. I hope so. Before we let you go, I do want to ask you one a uh, little bit less less fun question is last year, the player development went through a really massive change. What yeah. was the goal of that? Because I know a lot of um, things were shifted. People were, were people lost their jobs in a way as well. What was yeah. the point of that change? And is it going better now than it was before? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I'll be very frank. So in June of last year, there was a comprehensive restructure um, in the USTA. Um, and that was due to two factors. One of them was a strategic realignment. So there was a two-year process in which the board and USTA leadership developed a new strategic plan, uh, which we're following right now and happy to share with you after this, if you like. And the second factor was the financial impact of um, a COVID impacted US Open. And um, those were the two factors that really drove that, that restructure. So in player development, we lost um, a lot of team members. Um, we were merged with the community tennis division which was a big win, I, I believe, because now we're fully integrated into how the game is delivered. And the other part of that is that coaching education um, came into player development and was merged with us as well. There's a department called USTA University that merged with us. And again, that's a really synergistic opportunity because um, if we're gonna be effective and successful with developing players, we have to do the same thing with developing coaches. So uh, yeah, that was a that was a tough time, Nina. But looking back at it, um, I think the actions that our leadership, our CEO, and our board took have put us on very firm financial and strategic footing um, as we move forward. It makes sense. But I want to end on a happier note, and you know, this is a player that's not at the Australian Open, but it's someone who started the year off so well. Sebastian Corda. How excited should we be about this young star? He's got such a fun story. His family, of course. This is someone to look out for, right? Hundred percent. Keep a very close eye on him. He's a good kid. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. He works his butt off. Um, you know, he's, his coach, Dean Goldfein, has done a great job with him. But his dad, Peter, kind of leads the whole team effort. And obviously, you know, former Grand Slam champion, top 10 player, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's done it with two of his daughters on the golf tour as well. Um, pretty good leadership. 
pretty good leadership. <laughs> Great start in Delray, you know, then follows it up with a chat with a challenger win. And the other young man to keep an eye on is uh, Brandon Nakashima. Oh, yeah. We've yeah. had him on the podcast, too. We, we've oh, cool. been watching his career, too. Yeah, no, he's he's exciting to watch, too. Great, great kid and hard worker. Hard worker, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Martin, for taking the time. And uh, we look forward to seeing what the USTA campus, uh, you know, brings to, to the world with tennis, live tennis, college tennis. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. We appreciate it so much. You got it. Take care. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.